This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 440th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, we just celebrated your birthday and I gave you a <laughs> wonderful gift, didn't I? The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> As you guys could probably hear, Kelly's a little stuffy. I gave her my cold. So now she's <laughs> the one on this episode that's going to have a voice that's a little bit off. So my apologies. On this episode, we are featuring a location suggested by Kelly Cruz. She's not only a listener, but she also has her own podcast called Lore of the South. She had just taken a trip on down to Puerto Rico. And she said, I went on a ghost tour there and there's a lot of haunted locations. You guys need to check this out. So on this episode, we're talking about haunted Puerto Rico. <laughs> Very good with your accent there. I know. <laughs> I try. We have a lot of neighbors who are Puerto Ricans, so... This is true. They do a lot of barbecuing. Before we get into talking about that, we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Cindy, who has a Y at the beginning of the name and an I at the end. Rocky, Chelsea, Paula, Kathy with a K, Rico, and we have two Tracys, Tracy W and Tracy B. Thank you for joining us and our Spooktacular crew. And now this moment, Naughty. For some people, the thought of talking mushrooms probably conjures images of Alice in Wonderland's caterpillar taking puffs off his hookah pipe while lounging atop this capped fungi. What was in that hookah? Well, you may be surprised to know that many scientists believe that mushrooms are able to communicate with each other using a vocabulary of sorts, with up to 50 words. Now, one won't hear little mushrooms cracking wise or chortling back and forth together, However, they've been proven to communicate through impulses found within their roots. Studies have shown through electrodes that these pulses are not random, but ordered and in a sophisticated fashion. Those fluent in fungi surmise that the organism's shared conversations primarily consist of warnings of danger and detecting something tasty and nutritious within reach. Many herbal plants have connections through runners and have been shown to emit chemicals making their leaves less tasty when being munched on by caterpillars. Similar studies have also shown reactions to nutrients being supplied near their roots. Though more is to be learned regarding this surprising discovery, clearly many mushrooms do have the ability to communicate with each other. And that certainly is odd.
And now, this month in history. In the month of June, on the 27th in 1829, scientist James Smithson establishes the Smithsonian Institute. James Smithson was an English scientist who had been a fellow at the Royal Society of London almost his entire life, and he had published numerous scientific papers. Upon his death, he left everything to his nephew with a stipulation. If his only nephew died without any heirs, Smithson wanted the whole of his estate to go to, quote, the United States of America to found at Washington under the name of the Smithsonian Institution, an establishment for the increase and diffusion of knowledge. It's a unique request made even more bizarre by the fact that Smithson had never been to the United States. Clearly, we have a Smithsonian Institute, so you know that the nephew died without heirs. President Andrew Jackson accepted the gift, which included a vast library, minerals, personal effects, eight shillings, seven pence, and 104,960 gold sovereigns that came to $500,000 at the time. Congress put forward an act that created the Smithsonian Institute in 1846, and President James Polk signed it into law. That initial spark has led to 19 museums, nine research centers, a television channel, magazine, and the National Zoo. Plus a lot of hidden relics they've stashed away in their basement catacombs that they don't want us to know about, like giant human bones, for example. But, um, anyway... (laughs) I visited a few of the museums, and they are very cool, and it was all thanks to an Englishman named Smithson. Located at the tip of one point of the Bermuda Triangle, it's not surprising that Puerto Rico has some strange legends, disappearances, and hauntings. The island is today a United States territory, but for years it was under Spanish rule. This is a place with a vibrant culture mixing Afro-Caribbean, Spanish, and American influences. On this episode, we explore the history of the island and several of the haunted locations on Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico was originally known as Porinquin to the Taino people who lived there. They called themselves Poriqua. Christopher Columbus arrived at the island in 1493 when he returned Taino captives, and he decided to claim it for Spain, dubbing it San Juan Batista. The first European settlement was founded by Juan Ponce de Leon in 1508. The settlement was called Capara, which was changed to Puerto Rico in 1521 to represent that it was a rich port. Soon the whole island was called Puerto Rico, and the port became San Juan. The Spanish fortified the island and made it a place of farming for tobacco, coffee, ginger, and sugarcane. Calls for independence from Spain began in 1868, and 600 residents of the mountain town of Lares rose up. This movement is still celebrated today as El Grito de Lares, the cry of Lares, even though it was unsuccessful. After the Spanish-American War in 1898, the Treaty of Paris ceded Puerto Rico to the United States, and it is still a territory of the U.S. 
Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens, although the country has not been granted statehood yet. San Juan is the capital of Puerto Rico and the third oldest European established capital city in the Americas. This is a major seaport with around 2.5 million residents living in the metropolitan area. San Juan had been the boundary between two tribes on the island, led by the chiefs Mabo and Yuisa. The port was used by the Spanish as a major stopover for the transport of goods like gold and silver, hence why it was so fortified. The Battle of Puerto Rico in 1595 was an English attack led by Sir Francis Drake. He was repelled, but a couple of years later, the Earl of Cumberland laid siege to San Juan. Exhaustion forced the English to give up their occupation. The Dutch later sacked the city, but were eventually repelled. The British tried again in 1797 and were forced to withdraw. San Juan was a strong city, and in 1947 it would prove to be a progressive city when it elected a woman as mayor, making her the first female mayor of a capital city in any of the Americas. It is also home to several haunted locations. But first, before we get into the hauntings, Kelly, let's start with a miracle. That sound good? <laughs> Those are always good. Maybe certainly. your cold would just um, magically evaporate while we're recording. I have to say, that's what you prayed for me last night. And I still don't sound great. But compared to yesterday and the two days before, I feel like I've been healed. <laughs> <laughs> I should have smacked you on the forehead when I did it. <laughs> Be healed in the name of Jesus. Perhaps it would have worked 100%. <laughs> In San Juan, there is this cute little chapel tucked away in a little corner. This chapel was built on top of the ancient stone walls that had protected the city, and this was to commemorate a miracle that took place here. In 1753, the town was celebrating San Juan Bautista, and a man who was riding a horse in a parade lost control of the horse, and he and the horse plunged over the cliff to the ground below. His name was Baltazar Montanez. The Spanish Secretary of Government, Don Mateo Prats, saw Montanez and the horse falling, and like most of us, he cried out a prayer that sounded something like, Christ of good health, save him. The prayer worked because Montanez survived, although the horse did not. In gratitude, Montanez built the small chapel on the spot where he believed he fell over the cliff, and he made a gorgeous altar from gold leaf and silver. Now people from all over the world come to the tiny chapel seeking miracles for themselves. They leave behind tiny silver ornaments that represent the parts of their bodies in which they need healing. So there's like little lungs, little bones, little whatever. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of cool, I guess. I wonder where they find these. I'm thinking they have to have had them made or maybe somebody has some business acumen and started making them at a little shop down the road. <laughs> that would make sense. Today, you can see the chapel looking much as it did when first built and see all these ornaments of hope for a miracle. So our first location we're going to look at is Teatro Tapia. Teatro Tapia is the oldest freestanding, continuously running drama stage building in San Juan. The theater was built in 1824 and officially opened in 1832. It was built in the Italian style with a horseshoe shape that had three tiers of boxes. This was originally called the San Juan Municipal Theater. The name changed to Antonio Paole Theater in 1935 and then again in 1937 to its current Teatro Alejandro Tapia y Rivera. That name was for a Puerto Rican poet and dramatist. The theater became the center of cultural life in the city until the 1940s when it fell into disrepair. The building was slated for demolition, but the mayor of San Juan at the time, Felisa Rincón de Gautier, saved it. 
The theater was restored several times and today hosts cultural events, ballet performances, and dramas. Visitors and employees claim to have experienced many haunting things in the theater, including witnessing full-bodied apparitions, feeling something unseen brush up against them, and hearing disembodied footsteps and voices. The theater has the typical large loading dock doors, and they open and close on their own, which is no small feat. One of the spirits here is thought to be that of a woman who fell to her death while she was performing. It is her that seems to be behind the singing disembodied voice that is heard, and she is seen wandering the grounds. Another female apparition is witnessed in Box 105 sporting an Edwardian dress. She sometimes shows up behind theater patrons and then suddenly disappears. A spectral choir of voices is heard on the stage occasionally. Next we have the Hotel El Convento. This hotel in San Juan is one of the most historic hotels on the island. This started as a Carmelite convent when it was built in 1646 with funding from Doña Ana Lanzos y Menendez de Valdez. This is the Western Hemisphere's oldest cathedral, and Doña Ana was the first to join the cloister, followed by her sister and four other women. In 1903, the convent was closed by the Archbishop of San Juan. Robert Frederick Woolworth, heir to the Woolworth fortune, bought the property and started converting it into the El Convento Hotel. On January 27, 1962, the hotel opened embracing Old World charm and Spanish colonial architectural style. The property was renovated again in the 1990s and 2000s and officially renamed Hotel El Convento. One of the spectral stories includes the original founder and first mother superior of the convent, Doña Ana. Her passion for the place seems to have kept her spirit here. Her specter is seen roaming the halls and she is witnessed praying in various locations. She occasionally awakens guests from their sleep. Other nuns have joined her as well. The swishing sounds of nun robes are heard in the hallways. Disembodied chanting of nuns is also heard. One really weird happening is the sound of chains being dragged through the halls. And I have no idea what could be creating that sound, but you don't want the sound of chains dragging in a hallway of a former convent. (laughs) Definitely not. And next we have Paseo de la Princesa. The Paseo de la Princesa translates to the Promenade of the Princess and is a pedestrian promenade in the historic district. It wraps around the old wall and has old sentry posts, including the only city gate that still remains, Puerta de San Juan. The promenade is named for the La Princesa Prison, which still exists and serves as the home for the Puerto Rico Tourism Company. The prison was built in 1837 and could house 240 prisoners. This was a horrible place to serve time. There were solitary confinement cells called calabozos, and another cell called Caja de Sinches that was so named because it was full of thousands of bed bugs. Difficult prisoners would be thrown in here until they passed out from loss of blood. Oh, my word. A security guard here told the Islands Magazine staff in 2006 that he experienced weird things. The exchange goes like this. You ever see anything strange in these sentry posts? Oh, every night. Lights, shadows moving. When it gets very late, I've even heard voices. He seems quite nonchalant about the encounters. Voices? What do they say? He shrugs. I only hear whispers. It's nothing. Nothing? No. I used to work at the old jail, which is now a tourism office. Every night, that place, it was too much. Doors and windows would open. Chairs would move. Lights would turn off and on. I had to ask for a transfer. I still give that building space when walking past, even during the day. This whole town whispers, though. The buildings have lives when we aren't looking. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by 
Best Fiends. Kelly, it's not fair for the kids to have all the fun when it comes to playing games. I definitely agree. Best Fiends is definitely made for us, and it is my favorite way to reward myself after a hard day's work. That's what I do at the end of the day, get everything I need to get done, then I get into bed, and I'm like, I am working on my Best Fiends. Kelly, what level are you on? I am on 994. Let me look here real quick. Uh Uh-oh. Guess what level I'm on right now? (laughs) What level? 666. Um, maybe I better get past that level pretty fast. We know how we feel about that number around here. Well, as much as you like to play, I'm sure you will. No, it doesn't matter what level I'm playing. All of them are so much fun and there are literally thousands of levels so you can never run out of fun. Thank goodness they have so many levels because I am obsessed with this game. What's wonderful about it is it is free to download. It's one of those match three games and it has so many fun challenges that are a part of it. Did you ever play Shoots and Ladders when you were a kid? Of course. Well, they've got a game going on with this one that's called Slugs and Ladders. And the slugs are the shoots. Love it. It is so much fun and you get so many rewards for it. And there are dozens of unique fiends that you can collect. They're so cute. They start off as babies. They grow up and you could keep them as babies if you want to. But all the powers that they acquire, they keep those no matter what they look like. You know, that's what I do because I think the babies are darling. Well, Kelly, you and I have both earned our fun time and so have our listeners. You guys go to the App Store or Google Play and download Best Fiends today for free. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. When you're looking for it, that's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Next, we have the El Condado Vanderbilt Hotel. This hotel has that name because the Vanderbilt family built it. This was all the way back in 1919, and the hotel website says its Lux roots were established in 1919, when Condado Vanderbilt Hotel opened its doors to European and Hollywood royalty, captains of industry and blue bloods, all of whom crossed paths in its hollowed halls. So clearly not a place for us, Diane. (laughs) No, definitely not. We're not blue bloods or captains of industry. But even being a fancy schmancy hotel doesn't prevent it from being haunted. The hotel brought high-end tourism to the island and a certain woman who would become the hotel's lady in white. Now, the hotel will tell you they have no ghosts, but ask the employees and you'll hear a different story. There was a fire at the DuPont Plaza Hotel in 1986. Three disgruntled employees were in a labor dispute with the hotel, and they started the fire. The blaze killed 98 people and injured 140. Our Lady in White was said to have lost a dear family member in that fire. And while she stayed at the El Condado, she threw herself down the service elevator shaft. Employees claimed to feel and see her presence near the service elevator, especially on the sixth floor. There's a dark and sad blending of emotions here. The apparition is seen walking in the hallways and sometimes appears in rooms while housekeeping is servicing them. Her perfume is also detected when she's around. And now on to Castillo San Cristobal. Castillo San Cristobal was the largest fort built by the Spaniards. Construction began in the 1780s. This started as a small artillery platform on a hill to push back attacks by the English and Dutch on the city of San Juan. 
The fort was named for St. Christopher and took over 150 years to complete. This fort features a deep moat and many tunnels, and some of those tunnels were rigged as countermines. That means they were loaded with gunpowder and exploded under the feet of attacking enemies. There was a main plaza for assembling troops and running drills. The plaza is bordered by 11 casemates that were fortified from bombs and featured gun ports for cannons. Five cisterns under the plaza collected rainwater and could hold 800,000 gallons of rainwater. Oh my word. It's a lot of water. There's a dungeon here that still contains a drawing made by a prisoner back in the late 18th century. A friar who was accused of murder was chained to a wall here for over 20 years. Oh my gosh, how horrible. I can't even. And you know, I have these images, you know, those cartoons where they have those like toothless guys that are all old and craggy looking that are chained up in some old dungeon. Right. Unfortunately, yeah, it's probably not a caricature. It happened. The main ghost story told about this location is connected to a love story. The tale goes that a young woman named Maria Dolores fell in love with a thief named Betancourt. The main problem with this was her father was San Juan's executioner, and Betancourt was sentenced to death. Maria ran to the fort to stop the hanging, and she arrived too late. Betancourt was left hanging from the gallows, and Maria was devastated. She grabbed another noose and hanged herself next to her love. Maria's father came later to bury Betancourt's body and found his beloved Maria there, too. Both the spirits of Maria and Betancourt are seen in the area where the gallows had once been at the fort. Located here at the fort is also La Garita del Diablo, which is the devil's turret or devil's watchtower. This was used by soldiers to keep watch at night, and they would call out to each other to make sure they were still there. And legend claims that sometimes soldiers would disappear. At the end of watch, these soldiers would not appear, and they would never show up again. It was said that the devil devoured their souls and bodies, leaving their uniforms and weapons behind. We can't verify the uniforms and weapons thing, but if true, that certainly makes the stories more chilling. Because at first I was reading this and I was like, well, you know, maybe the guys just took off in the middle of the night. Or It wasn't just that they didn't show up after their job was done for the evening, but their uniforms and weapons were sitting there. Yeah, that's very strange. Yeah. And next we have Castillo San Felipe del Moro. One of the most popular tourist sites in San Juan is the Castillo San Felipe del Moro. Most locals just call the historic fort El Moro, which means the nose. The fort is located on the corner of the islet of Old San Juan. This was the second fort built here with construction beginning in 1539. The first rendition was a simple promontory mounted with a cannon. Eight bronze cannons were added to the fort by 1555. More and more was added to the fortification over the next 250 years until it was six levels high. Wow. This was a powerful deterrent that repelled pirates, the British, and the Dutch. In 1843, the first lighthouse in Puerto Rico was constructed on top of the castle. When America acquired Puerto Rico, they formed the U.S. Army post of Fort Brooke, which included El Moro and nearby Spanish government buildings. They also added a golf course, baseball diamonds, an officer's club, hospitals, and officer's quarters. Got to make sure you got that golf course in there. Of course they did. The fort was used through the World Wars and retired in 1961. The National Park Service made it into a museum, and the El Moro and Old San Juan were declared UNESCO World Heritage Sites in 1983. Phantom orbs are seen floating on the grounds. There's a lady in white here, and she's particularly creepy. She slithers along the ramparts. Yikes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing full-bodied apparitions, but if they're slithering, I don't know. 
The tunnels give people weird feelings, and they hear the disembodied voices of men calling out, particularly at night. The ghosts of prisoners are said to be seen here as well. Ghost ships are seen sometimes at night out in the waters in front of the fort, and these are ships from all the enemy countries that tried to attack Puerto Rico. This sounds like residual stuff from the various wars and battles. The chapel is a hotbed for haunting activity as well. And now on to El Parada Cofresi. Probably the most interesting spirit on Puerto Rico belongs to a pirate named Roberto Cofresi, also known as El Parata Cofresi. Roberto Cofresi was born in 1791 and came from noble beginnings, literally. His family was of nobility, but they were very poor because of the economic state of the island of Puerto Rico under the Spanish Empire and the wars for independence. Cofresi's mother died when he was four and his father died when he was 23. He married a local girl who also came from a noble family, but they soon were destitute when the estate burned to the ground. The couple had two boys who died soon after their births. The best way for a man to make money was to go to sea, and so he did, and it was through his experiences out on the high seas that he realized that the real money was in privateering, not the fishing that it was believed he was doing at the time. Before long, he had worked his way to being a captain and commanded a small fleet of modest vessels. The one he rode aboard was the Anne, and it was a fast six-gun sloop. His group managed to evade capture by vessels from many countries, including Spain, the UK, France, and the United States. Legend claims that he wasn't just about enriching himself. He was like Robin Hood, stealing from the rich to give to the poor. And while that may sound noble, it is important to point out that 300 to 400 people died while he was pillaging. El Parada Cofresi came to his end in 1825. Spain formed an alliance with the West Indies Squadron and the Danish government of St. Thomas, and they laid a trap for Cofresi and his group. They engaged in a naval battle, and Cofresi abandoned his ship and tried to get away over land, but was ambushed by a local trooper and two members of the Puerto Rican militia. Cofresi tried to bribe an official to let him go, but it didn't work. Cofresi and his men were sent to San Juan, Puerto Rico, to the Castillo San Felipe del Moro, and given a military tribunal, which found them guilty and sentenced them to death. This was carried out about three weeks after their capture and was done by firing squad on March 29, 1825. Puerto Rico is proud of their famous pirate. Cofresi was believed to be the last of the great West Indies pirates, and he was the dominant Caribbean pirate of his era. He basically took over Jean Lafitte's territory after he died. He has inspired many myths, songs, poems, books, and films, and several locations in Puerto Rico have been named for him. A monument was erected for him in Bocaron Bay. Cofresi couldn't be buried in a Catholic cemetery, of course, since he was a pirate and a criminal, so he was buried behind Santa Maria Magdalena de Pazzi Cemetery on a hill that overlooked the cemetery wall. Kelly Cruz shared some pictures from her trip there that we will share up on Instagram, or I think I might have already actually put them on Instagram. If not, I'll make sure they get up there. Of course, there are stories of buried treasure. Legend claims that anyone looking for the treasure will get dragged down to Davy Jones' locker or attacked by the ghosts of Cofresi and his crew. So don't look for it. People claim that he's had success because he sold his soul to the devil. They say this gave him inhuman powers like invisibility and great strength. One place where his spirit is said to linger is Mona Island, which had been his favorite hideout. His apparition has been seen there. That spirit has also been seen in his hometown of Cabo Rojo. Cofresi seems to be having a good time singing Spanish hymns and drinking rum. Those two things really do go together. Sure, why wouldn't you <laughs> drink rum while you're singing hymns? 
but it is good if he's drinking rum because it's said that if he's inebriated, he'll tell you where his treasure's located when you ask. One woman was said to meet her end when she went looking for the treasure where the ghost told her it would be in some shark-infested waters, and, well, the sharks won. Good place to hide a treasure. And as a fun aside, there is this strange legend that we found connected to San German. San German is a historic town in the southwestern part of Puerto Rico and is the second oldest city here. This is home to the Gates of Hell. We know, those macabre gates seem to pop up all over the world. These gates are located in a precarious spot. They can be found at the crossroads of Street B and C of what is referred to as Sabanian Enyas. The legend claims that if you place your face right at the center of the crossroads and whisper a prayer to the devil, then say his name 13 times, the sounds of hell will enter your ears. I'll pass. And you better hope <laughs> that there's not traffic coming because you're going to hear some, some kind of sound coming down on you. Puerto Rico sounds like a wonderful place to visit with both its beauty and history. And it seems to have a fair number of ghosts lurking around, too. Is Puerto Rico haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, thank you to Kelly Cruz for suggesting this to us and checking it out and letting us know they have a good ghost tour there. Again, her podcast is Lore of the South, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find out everything you need to know about this podcast on our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. That website is also where you could find out how you could support the show. You just hit the support the show tab. You could do that either via Patreon or PayPal. And we greatly appreciate that because you guys are the ones who keep this show going. We did get an email from Diane on the Glore Psychiatric Museum. She said, I enjoyed the podcast. Listen on my morning walk. I went to work at St. Joseph State Hospital in 1988. I retired from the new location in 2015, but continued to work there two days a week. She had a quick correction to make about George Glore. She said that George Glore was not a doctor or director. He was an activity aide, and he was later in charge of public information, the hospital's newsletter, and was responsible for maintaining the disaster manual and distributing it to all departments. She wasn't exactly sure what his title was during all those years, so she asked a man named Scott Clark to clarify what George's title was. Scott was the curator for several years after George retired, so he's as knowledgeable as George was about the museum collection. And he said George was an aide when he first started at Farmington State Hospital. He moved to Fulton State Hospital and joined the occupational therapy department. In the early 60s, he transferred to St. Joseph to help start OT. Dr. Liam O'Brien, who was a superintendent, asked George to put together an East Hills Mall exhibit explaining the history of the hospital. With the help of several non-believing carpenters, they recreated models of several old-time treatment devices. The exhibit was an immediate success. When the exhibits were returned to the hospital grounds, Dr. O'Brien asked George to see historically what else he could find, and the museum was born. Through the years, our collections have grown, and George became known for his ability to plan and implement all sorts of programs and activities. He retired in 1997 as Museum and Special Project Director, which basically meant that he handled any project that no one else wanted to do. Gotcha. Well, thank you for sharing. I want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us.
The theater was built in 1824 and officially opened in 1932. 1832. <sighs> 1832, not Jeez. 90s. Cold meds. That's amazing. The theater was built in 1824. It took 100 years before they opened it. And we had to cut about five minutes of coffee. Don't get me laughing. <laughs> it's not a good time to do so. One of the spectral stories includes the original founder and first mother superior of the convent, Doña Anya. Anyanya. <laughs> Doña Anya. Me instead of saying Anna, <laughs> Anya. Other noins. Other noins? Noins? <laughs> I want to become a noin in the Oh, church. my word. Summer camp is a magic place where kids discover who they are because they have the freedom to explore on their own. Why Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is a sleepaway camp in the heart of Idaho's wilderness. Each summer, campers make friends, build new skills, and learn to love the outdoors through activities like canoeing, archery, ziplining, rock climbing, campfires, and more. Registration for Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is open. Financial assistance is available. Learn more at ycampidaho.org. <laughs> 